Welcome to Expanding Your Faith with Bishop Gregory Godsey and Father Matthew Schnabel. Expanding Your Faith looks at modern faith and spirituality questions, as well as conducts interviews with movers and shakers in different and varied faith traditions. Our broadcast is brought to you by the hardworking staff at the Office of Communications and Media Relations in the Old Catholic Churches International. Stay tuned as we work on expanding your faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Expanding Your Faith. I'm Bishop Greg, and joining me uh, tonight is Father Matt. Hello. And our producer, Bishop Ben, is not with us tonight. He um, had to have some uh, oral surgery on Thursday, and it ended up being far more extensive. Instead of one tooth, they ended up taking out three and having to take out part of his uh, the bone in the jaw. Well, there was some damage, and so um, he is rather swollen and sore, and um, so he is not with us tonight. We're praying for his healing and his recovery, um, and that he will, you know, be back with us very soon to um, uh, work on the podcast with us. Uh, we're hoping he'll be back next week. I think that uh, he probably will, uh, depending on how quickly he heals. I'd also like to uh, ask you to keep in prayer um, the family of Archbishop Jack Haynes. Uh, Bishop Jack passed away last night um, from a massive heart attack, and uh, his family and the Nicene Catholic Church could all use your prayers as they uh, navigate this difficult time um, with his loss. And so uh, please keep them in your prayers as well. So tonight we're going to talk about theological education and liturgics. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure where Bishop Ben had intended this um, uh, podcast to go, so we're just going to kind of wing it. Um, but one of the great things that uh, has been a problem in the past uh, and continues to be uh, kind of a plague on the independent sacramental movement, which if you're not aware, the independent sacram- sacramental movement is this confederation of churches, basically. Uh, various jurisdictions that are ranged from independent Catholic to old Catholic to continuing Anglican to progressive Anglican. Um, kind of covers the watershed of sacramental churches not in communion typically with Rome or uh, the Archdiocese of Canterbury or the Episcopal Church or many of the Orthodox churches. Um, One of the banes of our existence has been a lack of theological education amongst many of the jurisdictions and um, there seems to be this kind of uh, sense or feeling that education is not necessary, almost the Protestant mindset that education is not what makes you a good clergy person, but rather the call of God alone makes you a good clergy person. And the analogy that I use uh, for my point of view on it is that um, 
let's say you have uh, need of an open heart surgery you go to the hospital to have open heart surgery done and in walks the janitor and he says well I've never been a medical school I've never performed a surgery but I feel very strongly in my soul I should be a cardiac surgeon God has called me to be a cardiac surgeon so I'm going to perform your open heart surgery today would you be okay with that and most of you are going to say well heck no I'm not going to be okay with that <laughs> um, because you know that's ludicrous I don't want somebody who's never had training never had um, any kind of education or anything uh, yeah Jesus take the will Blake says um, I don't want them doing my open-heart surgery well then why would you want someone who's had no training no education in charge of your immortal soul and whether or not you get to heaven or not I mean that that really is kind of what we're talking about when I worked in healthcare chaplaincy um, one time this doctor said to me he says uh, well pastor if I screw up a person dies and without even thinking I turned around and I said if I screw up they burn in hell for eternity checkmate <laughs> <laughs> you know so <laughs> it is kind of a heavier weight I think sometimes <laughs> for clergy and it should be uh, it should be a much heavier weight on our shoulders and why would we not want to be highly educated highly aware of what we're doing so that when we are advising people when we're helping people when we're you know doing the work of ministry that we're giving them the best possible information you know so that they we're not putting their immortal souls in danger and I still have people that will come to me and say that I'm leading people astray um, because I am preaching a message that is antithetical to their version of Christianity. So even all of my 30 years of studying, my 30 years of, of uh, constantly working to better my education, my doctorate, my two master's degrees still don't matter to a lot of people. And so a lot of clergy have taken this idea that they don't have to have that education to be a good priest or good deacon or a good bishop because who cares anyway? So I think theological education is highly important. I think it's very highly important. It's important for us to make sure that we're able to, to lead people down the right path. But I also think it can go the other extreme too. That we get so focused on education that we forget 
the people that we're serving. We forget to help them. And it's all about academia and being the most knowledgeable on the block. So I'm going to let Father Matt speak for a minute about uh, this. He is the dean of our uh, Old Catholic Institute, which is our training program for new clergy, uh, for clergy just uh, starting out as candidates and seminarians, and um, talk a little bit about some of that education side of it. What what is required educationally for a priest to um, be a good priest and kind of give us a why for those things that uh, you mentioned. Okay, Father Matt. So, bare bones for our candidates for theological study in, in broad terms is we've discussed having a chaplain track and a pastoral track. Everybody starts out on, on the chaplain track, so which means that you have what we consider to be core classes in our denomination. So you have Old and New Testament survey, um, one and two for both, um, which is essentially taking the book of the Bible and cutting it into quarters, or the, the whole Bible, and cutting it into quarters and studying it in the original languages, learning the nuances so that you know what you're teaching and what you're reading is the main focus and main concern about that plain and simple. You need to be able to know where certain story arcs are in the Bible, where core teachings are, where our core teachings come from in the Bible, so that you can defend it, and that you can apply it and give it to people. In a nutshell. Um, the chaplain track also has pastoral care training, in it so the past functioning pastors act as seminar leaders to showcase what effective ministry looks like so that you have an idea of what it means to be a minister church history so that you can know where the church started at from the apostles all the way up until we have where we have the church now and also our own church history because there is no seminary on the planet that is teaching old catholic history in its entirety so not only do you learn all of church history but you learn old catholic history as well so that you know where old catholicism in america came from what am i missing that's mostly for the chaplain track. If you branch the CPE off, program, which, which the CPE program is uh, clinical pastoral education requires you to do uh, training specific to your form of chaplaincy. Correct. So if you're going to be a police chaplain, there are certain things you need to know about dealing with uh, police officers and stressful situations and de-escalation techniques that can help you in life and death situations. 
uh, hospital chaplaincy requires a certain amount of bedside manner training, um, uh, you know, confining death and dying because, you know, you deal with a lot of hospice and you deal with a lot of uh, end-of-life scenarios, as well as dealing with families. Um, yeah, military chaplain would fall under probably uh, the, the um, police-type training because it's very akin to that police-type training. And then um, if you're going to be fire or EMS, those are typically put together. And so that training is uh, more not for the people on the ground when it comes to EMS, but for those actually riding the, the rigs. Um, how to help de uh, EMS de-stress, uh, decompress after certain difficult calls. Uh, again, end of life training, because you have so much of that uh, that happens with EMS. And of course with fire, dealing with families, uh, with total loss, uh, helping rebuild and that kind of stuff, uh, helping them in the grief process. So there's a lot of specialized training goes into CPE as you begin to move into whatever your specialized chaplaincy is. Now, if you're not going to be a chaplain, you would not have the CPE, you would move on to the pastoral track uh, of training. But if you're going to be a chaplain, you have to have that CPE training in order to uh, be a uh, certified chaplain of any organization. Which the pastoral track would include things such as liturgics, homiletics, um, family crisis counseling, because that, believe it or not, more of your families are going to come to you versus going to psychologists first. Yes. So you have to know how to assess and treat, well not treat, but assess and recommend where they go from there, um, family bonding, family planning. The pastoral track also includes, um, as does the chaplain track, uh, comparative world religions. Um, it's important as not only a pastor but a chaplain that you understand other people's practices and traditions, especially as a chaplain because in most organizations, chaplains are not able to say, well, you're Buddhist, I'll have to get you a Buddhist monk to come talk to you. Especially in hospital chaplaincy, that's not a luxury we have. So you end up having to help a family who may be Buddhist or Hindu or Satanist or, you know, whatever through their process. Um, and so you have to have kind of a mindfulness of what those different traditions are so that you don't end up offending people or causing more trouble than and good in those situations. So comparative world religions is an important course uh, for everyone to take. Um, pastoral track also gets into things like um, you know how to manage finances, how to run a parish, you know some of the pitfalls and day-to-day -day operations of parish. Um, so there's a lot of that more technical stuff that you need to run a parish versus 
you know, what you would need to be as a chaplain. Um, and there's nothing to say that a priest can't go through both tracks. They can. Um, it's just <clears throat> that uh, we focus primarily on one track to begin with, and then if they want to augment that with a second track later, they can. The important thing, too, uh, with our training is continuing education. All of our clergy are required to do continuing education every year. Um, I know that sounds weird. A lot of people are like, well, the Bible's been around for 2,000 years. What more do you need? Well, we're finding out new things archaeologically, historically, about the Bible and about uh, life during biblical times every single day. And it's important that our clergy understand that. Not to mention the changing landscape of culture and society. That it's important for us to understand the nuances of what's going on in culture. The changes in cultural landscape. Um, you know, 50 years ago no church would have taught queer theology. Period. It just wasn't done. Today, that's something that's done in just about every seminary on the face of the planet, except for Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist, and a few independent Baptist seminaries. Most every other seminary has a queer theology course in it. Even some of the Roman Catholic ones have queer theology courses. Because it's also important that we understand how to serve minority communities. You know, um, 50, 75 years ago you wouldn't have had training on racism and biases. Um, now you do. You know. So, uh, for us, continuing education means a way to keep our clergy sharp and knowledgeable about the changing landscape of the world and how we fit into it. How we can best serve all people, not just a subset of society. Uh, Promises says when it comes down to dealing with different religions, it all boils down to the same thing. Not necessarily. Uh, I mean, Buddhism is more of a philosophy than a religion. Um, and so... While it is a philosophical way of life, it has rites and rituals that are very religious-like, but with a whole different meaning to it. A whole different meaning to it. So, um, it takes a little getting used to those types of things. And you have to understand that background. You have to understand the background of Buddhism and what its thought processes are, what the pillars are, in order to understand how to best serve someone who's Buddhist. Same with Hindu, the same with... And we don't have, as chaplains, an exhaustive knowledge because our job as chaplains is basically put a band-aid on until their religious leader can get to them. Okay? So we're working to help them through that grieving process or through that transition process um, until they can get to their religious leader. 
So we don't necessarily have an exhaustive knowledge of each religion, but we have enough knowledge of each religion that we can assist them in that moment to get them to where they can get to someone who can help them further. Um, it's very much like, um, if you ever watch the television show MASH, I know it's dating me, but, um, you know, they patch them up and send them off to the hospital, you know, in the MASH unit. That's kind of what a chaplain is. We patch them up and send them on down the road. And so that's the job of a chaplain. So we have to know enough about everything to do that, but we don't have to know everything. <laughs> that makes sense. That's right. Knowing a people's belief helps you connect to them, Ecclesia. That is correct. And it also helps that you don't isolate or alienate someone. Um, I've watched videos of chaplains going to do chaplain calls. This is really bad amongst independent and Southern Baptists. And they walk into the room and immediately start talking about Jesus in front of a Hindu family. And you have the Hindu family screaming at them to get out. They don't want to be proselytized. They don't want to be forced to hear about Jesus in their moment of grief. They want what comforts them, and that is their religion. And so I tell people when they come to me and say, I want to be a chaplain, I say, can you serve all people without trying to convert them? And if they say no, that's the end of that discussion right there. Because you are not fit to be a chaplain. And I have a lot of people who come into my lives online with the title chaplain and immediately start trying to proselytize and change our beliefs. And I go, you are not a real chaplain. You did not go through real chaplain, chaplain training. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Because chaplain training teaches you to be respectful of all people's religious beliefs and to work with all people towards healing and uh, promotion of better spiritual life within their tradition, not within your tradition. What else am I missing here? I feel like I'm missing something. What else do you have to say about education, Father Matt? Education is important uh, for clergy, just in general. As you said, you don't want a cardiac surgeon who was a janitor that watched a YouTube video. Yes. Um, so, it's just important to look like and to sound like you know what you're talking about. Um, especially when you're standing up in a podium delivering a homily. But the over-educated part is a, is a real problem, too. Um, so I think we found a really good mix of not necessarily saying you must have a master's level education to be ordained, but you have, have to have a bare-bones knowledge of, or not the bare-bones, but you have to have a structured knowledge of the faith and the church. Um, I think 
you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but the Presbyterian Church, I think, is a good model for what overeducated clergy look like. Because yeah. I think every Presbyterian minister I've ran into is the Reverend Dr. Who's he, what's it? From some ABC seminary somewhere. And while they have a great knowledge, they, they're knowledgeable, they know, they know their stuff, they've defended a thesis the whole nine yards, they can't relate to people. Yeah. I call that so educated they're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they know the theory of relating to you, but when it comes to actually sitting down and talking to somebody that is going through their husband running off on them and not, or whatnot, they don't know how to relate to somebody on that level and hold their hand and cry with them. So that that is so important in is learning the practice of being present. And being present doesn't mean you're an academic. Being present means that you're a person. That's right. And a lot of people are educated to the point where their humanity is sucked out of them. So I think it's important, like I said at the beginning, it's important for us to have a theological knowledge, to have training, but not to the point that we become stuck-up egotistical snobs either. And that does happen some when you get into the discussion of theology. When you get into the discussion of seminary and training for clergy, you have some of what I call theological snobs, and they... You know, their only goal is to have, you know, 15 degrees on the wall to prove that they're smarter than everybody else in the room. Well, that does nobody any good, you know. Uh, what good is a degree if you don't know how to do the work of ministry? So, there has to be a happy balance. And within the independent sacramental movement, there has not been that happy balance. Just like it's not been a happy balance in any of the other major world denominations either. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is a great example of that in the fact that, you know, you'll have doctors of theology in the Roman Catholic Church who can't baptize a child. You know, you have people with master's degree in theology who can't say mass. You know, so education is no good if it doesn't teach you the functional day-to-day -day aspects of living your ministry. And um, so I, I think that that's the important part of it, and that's why our, uh, our institute works to train them first to be priests, to be priests, to be ministers, to be people who can relate to others, who can help others in the most difficult situations they're in. And then all the administrative stuff and all of the, you know, huge amounts of theology, systematic theology, and everything that they have to have um, is tacked onto that. But if you can't be a priest first, there's no need in having all of this knowledge of systematic theology and liturgics and homiletics and, because it's just useless. It's just it's a waste of time. Which brings us to the idea of liturgics. And a lot of people say, what is liturgics? 
So liturgics is the study of liturgy. Okay. Um, and liturgy is basically the rites and rituals of the church. And you know, Catholic, old Catholic, Roman Catholic, old Catholic, Orthodox, some Lutherans, some Methodists, all Episcopalians and Anglicans. Um, liturgics is a big, big part of our faith. The rites and rituals of the church are a big part of our faith. And so being able to perform those liturgies, those rites, in a church is very important. I said, if you can't baptize a child, you're functionally useless. <laughs> and part of liturgics is not just knowing how to say the right words at the right time or understanding the right, but how to do the right, but also the history of the right. History of why we do what we do. On top of what is absolutely necessary and what is not. You know, um, some liturgy, some rites in the church are quite complex and elaborate. But you may not have time to do all of that if the person's dying. Okay. So if the person's dying, you don't have time to stand there and do a 45-minute ritual. So what can you remove and it still be a valid ritual? so that it fits in the time you have before they meet their maker. So that is one of the important things uh, of teaching liturgics. Okay. Uh, did you have anything to add about liturgics? Okay. I think what we're going to do for a little bit is we're going to take some questions from the audience. Um, and um, answer a few of those um, in the last little bit of this uh, podcast. Uh, Otto asks, so how come Christians don't do Sabbath? Well, we do Sabbath. We just don't celebrate the Sabbath on the Saturday. Our Sabbath is on Sunday. It's a day of rest, uh, a time for worship of the divine, of God. Um, so we do have a Sabbath, we just don't celebrate it on a Saturday, uh, like uh, Jews and I think Muslims. And it originally was celebrated on Saturday, but moved when it became the official adopted religion of the Empire. Yes. So. Uh, questions germane to the podcast. Do you think those who learned one religion is harder for them to switch religions? Um, it depends on when they learned it. I mean, if they were raised with it as a child, I find that much harder for them to switch religions. If um, it's something they picked up later in life, maybe not so much. Be a little bit easier. Um, and so, um, I think that that, um, I think that the people who find religion later in life, it's 
easier for them to move from one religion to another versus someone brought up in a religion. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I realized that I never had a bar mitzvah. Am I still a child in God's eyes? No. <laughs> While bar mitzvah is important, write a passage. I don't believe that makes you any less of a person, a human, uh, an adult in the eyes of God. Does your training make you stronger in your faith or make it harder? Yes. <laughs> Yes to both of those. Um, it did make me stronger in my faith to a certain degree, but it made it harder for a while to kind of get to that point where I understood what I needed to understand, if that makes sense, you know. Um, because it's so hard when you're learning um, theology and stuff like that to maintain your faith sometimes. Um, but then by the time it's said and done, you're much stronger in that faith, I think. Agreed. Um, a wise person once told me that seminary and becoming a priest is like going through a washing machine cycle. Yeah. And it, you end up going through the spin cycle four or five times during the process. Um, there's some rough parts in, in seminary, especially when you get to things like archaeology, the learning the church church history side of it, all the fights and inner squabbling that the church has gone through. You just want to go well when you hear like what some of the major schisms are about, can be kind of what is earth shaking to you. There was a whole schism in the Episcopal Church about whether or not to put candles on the altar. Let that sink in. Whether or not we should have candles on the altar. There was another schism, not the East-West schism, but the one against Cop the between Coptics and the rest of the church about which creed we say on Sunday during Mass. So, when you go and get into instances like that, it's like, is this all worth it? But then, on the other hand, you remember, it. this is my faith, it's important to know that these things happened in my faith. Very true. So... What has been the single most important event that brought you to your calling? For me, there was never a single event. I just always knew I was called to be a priest. Um, so I think it just kind of been one of those things that's always been with me. So there's not been like one single incident that you know brought me to that moment. Um, likewise, uh, whenever I was growing up, there would be instances where people would go, you know, you look like a pastor. And I'm like, really? I don't think that. And then as time evolved, 
the calling kind of just grew and grew and grew and kind of snowballed until eventually ta-da there's the there's the full call it wasn't like a epiphanous aha this is it in that a lot that a lot of people proclaim it was more of a gradual well you look like this or you know you present yourself in that way but then as time evolved i eventually woke up and saw it yeah so would you suggest for everyone to study theology so that's a good question um in-depth theology no in other words, systematic theology, I would not think that would be an important thing for everyone to know. I think we should have more, uh, and I think all religions, all faith traditions, all denominations should have um, something similar to a rite of Christian initiation, which is something the Roman Catholic Church does, um, which is um, where they are taught the basics of theology, uh, the basics of why we believe what we believe. But I think it also should include a basics of biblical training as well for Christians and for those of other faiths, whatever uh, sacred texts they may adhere to. Because um, that's something that's sorely lacking in most churches. Uh, and most pastors don't spend the time to educate their flock very well about the history of their church, why they do what they do, and what the, the Bible says, uh, or what scripture, holy book says, about their faith. So I think that the, there needs to be some sort of program like that for all new initiates into the faith. Uh, and probably something like that taught to children brought up in the faith at some point during their youth. Um, I would say probably around the same time they do bar mitzvahs, you know, 12, 13 years old, um, for them to learn about their faith in more detail. Uh, that's something that's sorely lacking in a lot of faith traditions. Yeah, good, good solid catechesis is lacking, I, I think, regardless. Um, and even in other traditions, a lot of people just say, well, I believe this because that's what my parents believed. Yeah. Well, that's fine and dandy that it's an inherited religion, but do you know what that religion stands for? Does it fit you as a person and who you've evolved to to be a person? And I think that's what a lot of people are finding today is that the religions that they were raised in is not necessarily the religion that they've grown into. Um, which I think is an important step why we have confirmation or a lot of Christian denominations have confirmation. The reform movement has adopted, the reform Jewish move, movement has adopted that and to their services that yes it's fine and dandy to have a bar mitzvah but is this truly the religion you want to stay with? And yes, let's make a statement that I'm going to stay in the religion. Or I have chosen this religion. Versus it's something that has been pushed on to you. I, I think that's so super, super important. Because 
the faith that I was brought in was not the faith that I chose. I didn't choose to stay Baptist. I choose I I chose to move on and find something that fit me better. And I think a lot of people deny themselves that because they just don't know the history behind their faith and why they feel the way they do about something. Sure. All right. Very good. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of Expanding Your Faith. I appreciate everybody's input and all the questions from our audience. Remember, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash expandingyourfaith, uh, anchor.fm forward slash expanding dash your dash faith, or wherever you find your podcast for listening pleasure, Apple, Google, or Spotify, or any of the above. Um, until next week, when we once again attempt to expand your faith, keep shining bright, my friends.